Section 1 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 12, January 20, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 12, January 20, 1880 Poor Pussy comes at break of day, and wakes me up to make me play. But I am such a sleepy head, that I'd much rather stay in bed. Our Own Star As we have already, began the professor, had a talk about the stars in general, let us this morning give a little attention to our own particular star. Is there a star that we can call our own? asked May, with unusual animation. How nice! I wonder if it can be the one I saw from our front window last evening that looked so bright and beautiful. I am sure it was not, said the professor, if you saw it in the evening. Is it hard to see our star, then, she said? By no means, replied the professor. Rather, it is hard not to see it. But you must be careful about looking directly at it, or your eyes will be badly dazzled. It is so very bright. Our star is no other than the sun, and we are right in calling it a star, because all the stars are suns, and very likely give light and heat to worlds as large as our earth, though they are all so far off that we cannot see them. Our star seems so much brighter and hotter than the others, only because it is so much nearer to us than they are, though still... It is some ninety-two millions of miles away. How big is the sun? asked Joe. You can get the clearest idea of its size by a comparison. The earth is seven thousand nine hundred and twenty miles in diameter. That is, as measured right through the center. Now, suppose it to be only one inch, or about as large as a plum, or a half-grown peach then we would have to regard the sun as three yards in diameter, so that if it were in this room, it would reach from the floor to the ceiling. How do they find out the distance of the sun? asked Joe. Until lately, replied the professor, the same method was pursued as in surveying, that is, by measuring lines and angles. An angle, you know, is the corner made by two lines coming together, as in the letter V. But that method did not answer very well, as it did not make the distance certain within several millions of miles. Quite recently, Professor Newcomb has found out a way of measuring the sun's distance by the velocity of its light. He has invented a means of learning exactly how fast light moves, and then, by comparing this with the time light takes to come from the sun to us, 
is able to tell how far off the sun is. Thus, if a man knows how many miles he walks in an hour, and how many hours it takes him to walk to a certain place, he can very easily figure up the number of miles it is away. Why, said Gus, that sounds just like what Bob Stebbins said the other day in school. He has a big silver watch that he is mighty fond of hauling out of his pocket before everybody. A caterpillar came crawling through the door and went right toward the teacher's desk at the other end of the room. Now, said Bob, if that fellow were only keep straight ahead, I can tell how long the room is. So out came the watch, and Bob wrote down the time and how many inches the caterpillar traveled in a minute. But just then Sally Smith came across his track with her long dress and swept him to Jericho. We boys all laughed out. Sally blushed and got angry, and the teacher kept us in after school. Astronomers have the same kind of troubles, said the professor. They incur great labor and expense to take some particular observation that is possible only once in a number of years, and then for only a few minutes, and after their instruments are all carefully set up and their calculations made, the clouds spread over the sky and hide everything they wish to see. People, too, are very apt to laugh at their disappointment. There would, however, be no science of astronomy if those who pursued it were discouraged by common difficulties. To explain the heavenly bodies, they sometimes tried to make little systems or images of the sun and the planets, but they are never able to show the sizes and distances correctly. If they were to begin by making the sun one inch in diameter, then the earth would have to be three yards off, and as small as a grain of dust. Some of the planets would have to be across the street, and others away beyond the opposite houses. So when you look at these little solar systems, as they are called, you must remember that the sizes and distances are all wrong. Still, you can get from them some idea how the sun stands in the middle, and the earth and other planets go round, and how the earth, while going round the sun, keeps also turning itself around. You have seen how a top, while spinning, sometimes runs around in a circle. That is just the way our earth does. And if you imagine a candle in the center of that circle that the top makes, you will see why it is sometimes day and sometimes night. When the side of the earth we are on is turned toward the sun, we have day. And when we have spun past the sun, night comes. The sun seems to go past us, and people used to think it really did. But we know now that it is as if we are in a rail car, and the trees and houses seem to be rushing along, when we ourselves are the ones that are moving. The sun and all the stars seem to move through the sky from east to west, but it is only our earth that is turning itself the other way, and carrying us with it. What makes summer and winter? asked Joe. I think the top will help you to understand that, too. You have noticed that when it spins, it does not always stand straight up, but often leans over to one side. So sometimes the upper part of it would be toward the candle, and sometimes over away from it. 
The earth leans over too in the same manner, and that is the reason why we have summer and winter, when by this leaning our part of the earth is toward the sun. We get more heat, and we have a warm season. When we are leaning away from the sun, and are more in the shadow, the cold weather comes, and continues until we get into a good position to be warmed up again. A kind providence brings us all around very regularly, and there is no danger of our being kept so long in the cold that we would freeze to death. Everything works like a clock that is never allowed to run down or get out of order. In spinning, the earth carries us round twelve or fifteen times as fast as the fastest railway train has ever been made to run, and in making its circle round the sun, it moves as fast as a shot from a gun. Oh, oh, exclaimed the children, and Joe asked, Why are we not all dashed to pieces? Because, said the professor, we do not run against anything large enough to do any harm, and we do not realize how fast we are moving, or that we are moving at all, because we do not pass near anything that is standing still. You know that in riding we look at the trees and fences by the roadside to see how rapidly we are going. The hills in the distance do not show our speed, but seem to be following us. Unless we look outside, we cannot know anything about it, excepting, perhaps, we may guess from the noise and jostling of the vehicle. But as the earth moves smoothly, and without the least noise, we would think it stood entirely still, did not astronomers assure us of its wonderfully rapid motion. It took them a great while to find out. When they began to suspect it, there was a great dispute over it. Some said it moved, others said it did not. The two parties were for a time very bitter against each other, but now all agree in the belief of its rapid motion. A queer thing to quarrel about, I must say, remarked Gus. I wouldn't have cared a straw whether it moved or not, if I could only have been allowed to move about on it as I pleased. I hope you are not getting uneasy, Gus, said Joe. There is evident reason, observed Jack, to suspect that his appreciation of the marvels of science is insufficient to preserve. Oh, bother, Jack, don't give us your college stuff now, after the professor has told us so much. We like to hear him, of course. I do, for one, a great deal better than I thought I should. But then a fellow can't help getting tired. Baby's Eyes When the baby's eyes are blue, think we of a summer day. Violets and dancing rills, when the baby's eyes are gray. Doves and dawn are brought to mind. Brown of gentle fawns we dream and ripe nuts in shady woods, black of midnight skies that gleam, with bright stars, but blue or gray, black or brown like flower or star, sweeter eyes can never be, to mamma than babies are. End of section one. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.